Hello. It is Friday. And on Fridays at CityCast Houston, we like to talk about the Houston news. Today, producer Farrell Gibbs and I are joined by Zach Despart, an investigative reporter from Texas Tribune. It is Friday, May 20th, 2022. I'm Lisa Gray, and this is CityCast Houston. Zach, let's talk about the news. Farrell, what do you think the biggest story was this week? The story that got my attention the most was the grid. Texas Tribune story out this week detailing one of the six plants that crashed in last Friday's heat wave. Five o'clock that day, Mm -hmm. six plants go down. Folks are asked to keep their thermostats no lower than 78 degrees during peak times. I've kept an eye on these stories ever since the winter storm last year. I remember thinking I had no idea that a Texas power grid could go down. <laughs> you know, how precarious that was. I think most Texans had no idea that a Texas power grid could go down. Yeah, it was it was shocking. So a lot of times when I comb through these stories, I try and make sure who the source is, whether it's a slow news day or whether it's like political in nature. But when those plants went down last Friday, that's when I was like, uh-oh, because You know, two weeks ago, early May, we have another whole month of spring. This is by far the hottest that my skin has ever felt a spring. (laughs) And uh, yeah, yeah, it just seems looking forward. Yeah. I mean, like the larger issue there is that a lot of those plants are old and they need maintenance. And that particular plant, if I remember the story right, had asked permission to close for maintenance and... They were denied because we were expecting a heat wave, and sure enough, it went down. And the bigger story there, I think, is how are we going to do with these aging plants if Texas doesn't figure out how to get more energy on the grid? I think everybody needs solar panels. That's (laughs) Yeah, I mean, it's pretty precarious in the sense that uh – the season for maintenance, which is like the spring and the fall, we don't have extreme temperatures, like it's is getting narrower and narrower. Um, right. And along with an aging infrastructure, it's just sort of a recipe for future disaster. I, I hope it's far, far in the future and not next week. <laughs> All right, Zach, what do you think the biggest story was this week? Well, this is a, a bit of, of shameless self-promotion, but I had uh, wrapped up an investigation this week of the federal Harvey aid. As you guys remember, uh, back in 2018, after mm-hmm. Harvey, Texas got $4 billion from Congress to do disaster mitigation to protect the state um, yeah. from future uh, natural disasters. And I had done an investigation last year for the Houston Chronicle, which found that for the initial billion dollars of that, that Texas had distributed it, the state and the general land office under Commissioner George P. Bush had disproportionately steered that aid to inland rural counties. They were giving Harris County zero dollars. Yes. I'm sorry. We got hit by Harvey. That money needs to be coming here. We have the most people. We were walloped. Yeah. So as you remember last year, initially Harris County, um, the county government and the city government got zero dollars out of that billion dollars, despite the fact that Harris County has half the eligible population of all those counties uh, and sustains more than half of the deaths and dollar damage from Harvey. Um, This story that I I finished this week was about Texas was like, okay, we're going to redo our plan for the rest of the money. 
And what I found is basically the same result happens where Texas plans to, again, disproportionately steer this money to inland counties that have a lower risk of disasters. And I think it's important. I know it like, you know, mm-hmm. diving into the minutia of federal rulemaking and, and how the state spends large sums of money can be boring at the outset. But this is really, really important. Um, it's a rare and, opportunity. Yeah. yeah. I mean, it's not often that, that Congress gives tons of money to states for this kind of thing. And of course, it's important because Texas itself does not typically spend lots of money on disaster mitigation. So this is a rare opportunity for Texas to prepare for future storms. And we are not planning to spend the money in the places that have the highest risk of them. And this looks to me like part of sort of the state's war on Harris County um, in the way that whenever possible, money gets steered away from this big place with lots of Democrats. Because I realize you can't speak to maybe the motivations, but other people in your story were speculating. Yeah. uh, I mean, I talked with Al Green, a Democratic congressman from Houston, um, who's taken a particular interest in this money. Uh, He basically had said, like, look, like I was in Congress when we voted for this money in 2018. And giving it to counties 200 miles from the coast was like not what we meant when we said, here's the money for disaster preparedness. Um, So he is pretty upset about it. Yeah, I mean, certainly Democrats like him are suspicious that the Republican government in Texas, and again, we're talking about Commissioner Bush, also a Republican, um, is displaying political favoritism and giving money to places that are more conservative and are wider than the coastal areas that are getting less. But I mean, I think you're right about Houston. Uh, Objectively, like it has more people and has a higher disaster risk. And in the breakdown that I did, depending on how exactly Texas divides this money, the inland areas will get anywhere from two to four dollars per person more than places like Houston. And I don't want to just I know this is a Houston podcast, but like also places like Port Arthur or Beaumont Mm -hmm. down in Corpus Christi, again, heavily non-white areas. Um, They're smaller, but a very, very high disaster risk because of their proximity to the coast. So it really is an important issue. And and I, I hope people, you know, keep paying attention because there, there's a real risk of, of future. The idea that they've done this a second time, they did it once, there was an outcry, and then they did it again is what drives me nuts the most. Yeah. I mean, from a regulatory standpoint, so like, of course, yeah. like Congress gives money and they have rules for stuff. So states can't just do whatever the the heck they want to do with it. So the the Federal Department of Housing and Urban Development is in charge of this, in charge of enforcement for the states. And they have already said that first plan last year discriminated against black and Latino Texans. Mm-hmm. And what we found is the same plan might in fact do the same thing. So a good question, and I'm glad you brought this up, Lisa, is like, what is the federal government going to do about this? Like, would they continue to let Texas do whatever it wants to do? Or would they really try to crack down and say, actually, we're going to make you change your plan because it has this outcome. That's an open question at this point. Yeah. So they can still yank the money back and redistribute it. They could. They could. Okay. This was the biggest story for me this week. This was because it just made me so furious. You know, I think Houston has a lot to do with all sorts of infrastructure. We just were doing a story about storm sewer and regular sewer problems in this area. And without that federal money, we don't fix them. Yeah, for sure. For sure. All right. So, Farrell, what do you think was underplayed this week? You know, quietly, COVID-19 seems to be making a stir again. I I say quietly 
because each time a rumor of a wave comes down the pike, I think folks are less and less motivated each time to engage in any of the protocols. Everything feels sort of gray, but, you know, this week, the White House COVID team resumed briefings. You, you have Dr. Hotez has been very sick, it looks like. Dr. Peter Hotez, the vaccine researcher who is Houston's voice of COVID awareness. Right, right. Yeah. That very one. He said on Twitter, or he was quoted as saying, BA212 is the mother of all variants in terms of transmissibility. It's getting up there with the measles. Aye, which measles being as infectious as anything gets. Yeah. So I'm worried about this. The Texas Medical Center has stopped its COVID dashboards. They're not updating them anymore. Because of home testing, we don't have as good an idea at a like city, county, state level about how many people are testing positive. So we don't really know what's going on. And that makes me very nervous. Yeah. We're sort of in the dark in terms of a lot of these metrics. An important thing to keep in mind is like our vulnerability to COVID. It doesn't decline with the passage of time. It declines like when our vaccination rate like increases. I just looked it up in Harris County. It's, it's two thirds right now, 67%. Uh, and it sort of hit that wall last year and it, it really stopped going up from that. Um, so we remain just because we have, uh, so 30% of, of almost 5 million people are not vaccinated here. Uh, remain totally to not vaccinated. Wow. And yeah, that, we're not so talking that, about waning vulnerability for people who haven't got their boosters. We're talking just purely unvaccinated, which yes, alarms yes. me. Yeah, it's a ton of people. Yeah. I was just going to say on a personal note, I was at a family wedding this weekend and lots of people there are coming down with COVID, including my daughter. Mm. So, you know, this one's hitting home for me. And story that... I think is going to be interesting to follow in the sort of coming weeks is a profile that I saw in the New York Times of Wesley Hunt. He's the Republican nominee for a Congress seat out in sort of the west part of Houston along the energy corridor. He's almost certain to win that seat. It's one of those districts that was drawn for a Republican. The interesting thing is that Wesley Hunt is African-American. And he's becoming the face of Republican diversity. He's making regular appearances on Fox News. He's trying to recruit other candidates to the party. He's saying that if the Republican Party doesn't begin attracting more people of color, it won't be around in a generation. And I think this is fascinating. I think it's really interesting that Texas is, you know, sort of the face of Republican diversity. Yeah, I think that's interesting. It's kind of uh, important to take that like on a state by state basis. I mean, like Texas, of course, is um, more diverse racially than than most states, primarily because of its Latino population. Uh, I mean, certainly the Republican Party for a couple generations has struggled to attract Black voters. That's still true, but I wouldn't say say that so much about like Latinos in Texas. I mean, certainly Latinos generally in statewide elections favor Democrats, but it's not it's not a blowout. It's not a blowout. Wasn't that long ago that, that, that George Bush and Rick Perry performed very well with uh, Latinos and, and George Bush, George W. Bush did very well at the national level, um, attracting them. Going forward as the party becomes more and more hostile towards some racial issues, that's kind of a, a very big, broad way of putting it, a very like, hard line on immigration, perhaps. Um, yeah, or like this week we had Ted Cruz tweeting out about basically replacement theory, which... You know, this idea that 
white people are being replaced, which is interesting because we think of him as Latino. He is Cuban, Cuban American, but I wouldn't say that he's, you know, leading the parade for things that most Latinos want. Yeah, yeah. But I mean, back to, to uh, Wesley Hunt's point. I mean, I think yeah. yes, that the Republican Party does have to diversify, even in places like Texas, um, because its electorate is so old and so white. Um, and, and they can still succeed, obviously, on a statewide level. Um, and you've seen that dominance for 20 years here. But but demographically, I mean, one of the uh, most interesting things I like to look at is like the voter roll and then like look at the demographics for the oldest bracket and look at the Democrats uh, for the, the youngest bracket. Because if you just look like at Harris County, for example, the voters who are coming of age and turning 18 now, um, a very small percentage of them are, are white. Uh, Harris County right now is like 28, 29 percent Anglo. Mm-hmm. Um, but if you break that down by age, like most of the young kids by far are, are black and brown. They're not white. Yeah. Wesley Hunt is right. It'll be interesting to see how this one plays out. Uh, Zach, what do you think has been underplayed? What should get more attention? I think we're still uh, not talking enough about abortion in Texas. And that might, might seem wild because you're like, oh, you know, it, it <laughs> seems almost almost certain that that row will right. be overturned um, as soon as next month. And then abortion will be functionally illegal in Texas. Uh, myself and my colleagues, James Barragan, had done a story about sort of what's next for the, the Texas legislature, um, because they have, they've tried for so many years to um, limit abortions here, but they could never actually pass a law prohibiting it because there was a constitutional protection uh, to abortion. Now that that's gone, does that mean like, oh, they're going to move on from abortion and focus on other things? And the answer, at least in the immediate term, is no. It, it seems pretty clear that uh, a percentage of the Republican lawmakers. At this point, it's not clear how how large that part of the caucus is. Um, but they want to not only make it uh, impractical, impossible for pregnant people in Texas to get abortions, they want to make it impossible for Texans to leave the state to get abortions or from anyone in Texas to help anyone outside of Texas get an abortion. Is that something that can be done? Can you make that kind of law? I, that's a good question. Um, there are certainly many more things that Texas can do, like within its own boundaries, trying to regulate what people do out of the state runs into a host of constitutional issues. I was reading a, a letter yesterday that um, Representative Briscoe Kane had written to the CEO of Lyft, um, the rideshare company, essentially saying that like the, the CEO had offered to help employees um, leave the state of Texas to, to seek abortion care. And, and Kane was saying that like, that's illegal under Texas law. I'm going to make sure it's legal under Texas law. And a dozen other lawmakers, mostly like the, the far right part of the caucus, had signed it. Essentially, like that would be a, a significant restriction on what private businesses can do in Texas, um, which is fairly antithetical to how Republicans have approached business in Texas. It reminded me of the fight we had in, in 2017 over the bathroom bill when it was right. ulti- ultimately like business Republicans who killed it. Uh, I'm not sure the business Republicans would win out in 2023. I think that their sort of uh, influence in the party has weakened. So I'm really, really curious to see. Um, yeah, this is not the party of small government when you are regulating bathrooms and you know uteruses. Yeah, again, I'm just. Uh, it's not clear to me at this point how many people in the Republican Party in the, in the legislature would support restrictions like that. But I think that's that's the next frontier we'll be talking about. Yeah. All right. Well, this is bleak. It's time for something happy. Farrell, what is making you happy right now? What is your joy in Houston? Lyle, love it, actually. Yeah? Yeah. I'm going to be going on vacation tomorrow. 
for the road trip, my wife has purchased Lyle Lovett's new album, 12th of June. Uh-huh. I'm going to be listening in the car to the whole thing. It was released last Friday. Uh, I've come to associate Lyle Lovett's music with my wife. She loves this country out here. She loves A&M and horses and the Brazos River and all that he sings about. So her... You know he's from Klein. Well, I mean, but... But it fits. <laughs> it, it it feels like this. I, you know, what do I know yeah. about any of this music? I'm just now hearing it. I guess you move out here and then you just start listening to Lyle Lovett. So. Yeah, that is. He's very popular there. Yeah, Zach. What about you? What's making you happy? Yeah, I mean, I just I know we have had a a hotter than normal spring. Does this make you happy? <laughs> no, what that does not make you? me happy. Yeah. But I'm just saying, you know, being a glass half full guy. Um, <laughs> The past the past few nights, you know, we go out and we take the dogs out like sort of close to dusk and there's there's been like a slight breeze in Houston. Like it is still tolerable to be out at that part of the day. And you know what? I'll take it, you know, to take our moments to reflect and like really appreciate that. You're not gonna think about what's coming. Yeah, we don't you know, we don't have those nice, you know, spring falls like other other parts of the country do. So like the next last few nights that we have that sort of thing. And anytime we get like even the slightest of breezes in Houston, I'm just like so thankful. Yes. Um, so yeah, make the best of it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. The thing that's making me happy right now is I've realized that when I go out to walk my dog, people in my neighborhood wave. We are wavers here in Meadow Creek Village. You know, it's that little quick two finger whole hand. I see you thing. And it's just a pleasantness. It's, it's something that I like about living in Houston. I have a Texas shirt. I have, of course, a Texas A&M shirt. I also have an Auburn shirt where I graduated, and I'll wear all three of those uh, jogging through this neighborhood. And they all wave regardless. Nobody hates on people here just because of the school you represent. So. <laughs> Do they know that you're an interloper, though? <laughs> they. It took them a long time, and then they, because I look so strange, I guess, and then finally they will stop and ask, who are you and where do you come from? Where do you live? Yeah. Are and I from? say, I live yeah. in the duplex down there. My wife goes to vet school and I'm from Alabama. And then it makes total sense to to all of them as soon as I say all of that. A, a, a harmless interloper. <laughs> do you say that? I am a harmless interloper? No, they just know it. Good, because that would scare me to death, Farrell. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Nobody who identifies themselves as harmless ever is. <laughs> all right. Well, thank you all. This was fun. This was fun. Yeah, thank you so much. Thanks to Zach Despart from the Texas Tribune. And if I had a boat, I'd go out on the ocean. And if I had a pony, I'd ride him on my boat. That is it for our show today. Our lead producer, who is on vacation, is Dina Kesba. Farrell Gibbs is our producer who has worked extra hard. And so has Lizzie Goldsmith, the roving producer, who's filling in. Brooke Lewis and I edit the CityCast Houston newsletter. And our theme music is by Farrell's band, All the Kimonos. We have a special surprise in our feed for y'all tomorrow on Saturday. And our normal shows will be back, like usual, on Monday. Bye. Hello. Blah. <laughs> what is going on with me? All right. <laughs>